Mark chapter number 6 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 32. We're going to read quite a bit of Scripture, uh, but it provides for us some context that I believe we desperately need for the message tonight. Mark chapter number 6, verse number 32 says, And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him, and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread, and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to sit before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get in, uh, to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Genesaret and drew to the shore. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts tonight through your word. Lord, your people have come tonight. We have need to hear from heaven. We have need for your word to be engrafted into our hearts and our lives and for you to accomplish something miraculous, something needful in our lives. So, Father, help us now to submit ourselves, to surrender to your word, to your Holy Spirit. Help us tonight to give you liberty, Lord, to work and to move in our midst. And we'll look for you to do this in a way that give you glory and give you honor. Lord, help us to praise you when you've answered. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we've read quite a bit of Scripture tonight, but I believe that in uh, traditional sermons there has been a mistake of separating the two narratives that we have read tonight as one narrative. You may have heard many messages upon the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, you probably have. 
You've probably heard many messages on Jesus walking to them on the water. In fact, you probably have heard quite a few. But it's rare, if ever, that we hear these two narratives spoken of being interconnected one to another. And yet we find in verse number 52 that these two narratives have a thought that is interwoven within either of them that we can gather and gain that will help us as we consider the Word of God. Look with me again at verse 52. It says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. You see, this is all one story tonight. And I believe when we take it as thus, and, and when we use a little bit of scriptural understanding that we begin to understand that this storm that popped up was not incidental, it was providential. The circumstances they found themselves in were not happenstance, but the divine hand of God placed them in this situation. I, I don't know why it is that we love preaching on storm scenes in the Bible so much, but I have a good idea why it may be. It could be because we all encounter so many storms of the spiritual kind in our daily lives. And so it's got a particular application to our experience to understand that God is not just the God of the sunshine, but He's a God of the storm. You see, when I read this passage, and I just want to give you the uh, four points by way of introduction. I'm not even really going to preach on them. But when I see the feeding of the 5,000, I see in some ways something that could be a picture to me of the Lord's entire earthly ministry. Now, you say, well, how do you mean, preacher? Well, I want you to notice, first off, the deficit in verse number 36. The Bible says uh, that the disciples were speaking and said, send them away, uh, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, speaking of this multitude that was gathered. And then notice the statement they make, for they have nothing to eat. Isn't this a picture of lost humanity trying to approach the presence of God with nothing to, uh, to uh, satisfy, with nothing to fill themselves, with nothing to feed themselves? When I see this deficit, it reminds me of the condition that humanity was in before the cross of Calvary. Uh, all of mankind has always hungered for to know something of God. You say, well, I don't know about that, preacher. Well, study history and you'll find uh, that religion is no new notion. All the way back through varying civilizations and empires and cultures and social structures, religion seems to always have found a place in it. You say, well, what do you mean by religion, preacher? Let me give you a good definition, a good way to tell between religion and Bible Christianity. Religion is man's reach for God. But Bible Christianity is God's reach for man. That's the difference between the two of them. Religion is man's attempt to satisfy God, and Christianity is God satisfying His own holy mandates and allowing man to have a part in it through the cross of Calvary. And so when I see this multitude of people, I see a deficit, I see a need, and I'm conscious that humanity had a great and vast need. But then I also see the division that's spoken of in verse number 41. Look at it with me. It says, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. 
There's something very important about the breaking of bread in Scripture. And we find the key to it on the night before our Lord was crucified. Isn't it interesting that breaking of bread is always an integral part of the New Testament church? And it's spoken of time and time and time again. And I don't think that's just talking about uh, going and having donuts or having sandwiches. Uh, but I think that that in a particular way a lot of times is speaking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, like what we're going to take this Sunday night. The Bible tells us that gathered in that little upper room, our Lord took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is my body which is broken for you. I see that our Lord took this bread and He broke it so that He could feed others. And I think about Calvary and the way that our Lord took His blessed body and it was broken for you and I. Not just for you and I. Uh, who would ever imagine that this man that seemed so normal... And by the way, if you'd looked upon him, he would have looked normal. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, "...hath no form nor comeliness that we should desire him." And who would have ever thought on that day, we kind of, you know, our whole world ought to be and should be centered around the cross of Calvary. But I, I would uh, believe that if you were to go back in time and be able to stand on that hillside on that day when our Lord was crucified, one of the things that strike you as uh, interesting is, is how unimportant it seemed to those around there. The soldiers were uh, gambling and casting lots. The priests were going about their daily duties in preparation, uh, you know, for the Passover, for the uh, for the uh, Feast of Unleavened uh, Bread. And, uh, you know, uh, the whole day was just going about doing what it always did. Who would have ever thought that man hanging upon that cross through the breaking of his body, through the shedding of his blood, that so many multitudes could come to know salvation full and free and paid for? In the very same way, who could have ever imagined when our Lord took this loaf of bread, insignificant though it seemed, and began to break it and break it and break it and break it over and over again to feed these multitudes? I think the division pictures for us Calvary. I I think also the distribution. Look again at verse 41. This is just an introduction. Don't worry if you're not excited yet. Amen. Uh, But notice what it says. It says, He looked up to heaven and break and blessed the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. Now, isn't this just like our Lord? You think about Bible Christianity. Twelve disciples, one of them was a devil, the Bible tells us. So essentially, eleven men that our Lord started with. I mean, I know there was multitudes came, multitudes that went. I know when he ascended up, he was seen of above, of five hundred brethren. But it seems like a pretty measly crowd. And yet, through these Men, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been spread throughout the entire world. What a beautiful truth. Our Lord did not himself pass this bread out. He gave his disciples, said, now you're going to have to pass it out. You know, that's the same shape we're in today. Our Lord Jesus Christ, He died on the cross of Calvary. He paid the way. I didn't pay it. I don't have anything to do with paying it. But then He entrusts this gospel to you and I to carry it to a lost and dying and hungry world. We see because the distribution, it's kind of a picture of of Calvary. But then I want you to notice one final thought here uh, in the introduction. Don't get excited. Look at verse 46. And this is really where I want to start talking about our message tonight. The Bible says, And when He had sent them away... He departed into a mountain to pray. I think it's a picture of our Lord's ministry because of the departure that's spoken of. You know, in a lot of ways, that's exactly what has happened. Our Lord and Savior, I mean, I understand we have an omnipresent God, and I'm aware of that. But as far as a physical bodily presence in this world right now, our Lord does not have a physical bodily presence. He's not walking amongst us in the way that He was during His earthly ministry. What happened to our Lord? 
The Bible tells us in the first chapter of the book of Acts uh, how that he ascended up to heaven, how the, the disciples uh, looked steadfastly into heaven, and they saw two angels that said, Why stand ye uh, gazing upward? This same Jesus shall in like manner, which ye have seen taken up, shall in like manner come again. He ascended up into a mountain of sorts. Why did he go? My Bible tells me that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever liveth to make intercession for you and I. Now, I understand, and I'm not trying to say this is a perfect picture tonight. But you see, when I see these disciples, I see disciples that have just seen God do a magnificent thing. I see disciples that have had a commission and calling to serve others. I see disciples that have seen their Lord that they love so dearly depart from their presence and go up into a mountain. And now they're left alone, and what will they do in their circumstances? And then I'm reminded of you and I. We've been saved by the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, that's the only way you've been saved is by the grace of God. You've been commissioned with a glorious gospel to take to a lost and dying. You say, well, preacher, you know, I'm no evangelist, I'm no missionary. Are you a Christian, though? If you're a Christian, then you've been given this great commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. By the very same token, though we've been entrusted with this great, uh, this, uh, great distribution, we also are keenly aware that our Lord is not present with us here in a bodily sense. We have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling within us. But I'm sure it's crossed your mind sometimes. I know it's crossed mine that I thought, boy, how much easier it would be if the Lord was just right here with me. We know that He is here with us. But there's also a keen sense of longing and loneliness that we all experience at times. Times when we think to ourselves, boy, I wish the Lord was just here. Straighten all of this out. And I'd have you to know that that is a normal and natural emotion and feeling to have at times because I'm sure that's what these disciples felt. When I see the storm that they're experiencing, I see the very same things that you and I go through in this day of grace, in the church age, saved individuals by the blood of Jesus Christ, but still we have struggles and difficulties. It's been said so many times, I don't know if you can wear a saying out, but this one's about to get there, that you're either just come out of a storm in one or headed into one. Why is it said so often? Because it's true is why it's said so often. Because we all experience these difficult times in our life and we must learn how to cope and how to trust the Lord in the midst of them. And so it's in the context of this great miracle that the storm comes. Some of you may have just experienced, I mean, it scares me when it starts getting too good. Somebody say amen right there. You know, I mean, it just seems like when God is working in your in your life and in your heart and in your family or in your church, God's just blessing and blessing and blessing. One thing I've found is sure as anything, the low times are the heralders of the high times, and the high times always herald the low times soon coming. And coming off of the eve of this great miracle, they find themselves on stormy waters. I want us to notice a few things tonight about what they were going through. Notice first off, look at verse number 48 with me. The Bible says, And when he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. I want to notice first off the plight of the sailors. Now, we're going to talk here in just a minute about, I mean, it was in the wee hours of the morning. They had not made very much progress. They were still, the Bible says, in the midst of the sea, long into the night. Why? Because the wind was contrary to them. 
You've been in those situations, I would say, if you've ever owned a boat or spent any time out on the lake or on the sea. Uh, storms just seem to come up out of nowhere. It seems as though everything will be calm and everything will be fine. But there in that exposed environment, it's as though the winds have free range to whip themselves up into a frenzy in a moment's notice. All night they had been toiling and rowing and seemed to be getting nowhere. You ever been out? I've had this happen a few times. You ever been out on the uh, lake and it's been a real hard wind? And you could have swore that no matter how hard that motor was working or how hard you were rowing, it just felt like you was getting pushed backwards. Let me ask you this. You ever felt like life was that way? Sure. There's times when it seems as though there is an invisible force driving us backwards. After all, that's what the wind is, isn't it? No way to fight it. No way to contest with it. Nothing you can do to avoid it. It's just the circumstances of life at that moment. I've felt like that before, have you? Times when it seemed as though there was nothing you can do to combat trial after trial and difficulty after difficulty. Notice the plight that these sailors were in. But there's an interesting phrase that's used here. And you may be here tonight and you may be thinking, Oh, preacher, i felt like that lately. Let me give you some good news. Let me encourage you for a minute because there's something we read and I don't know if you picked up on it. But you can see these little sailors out in the midst of this lake. You can imagine at that time they didn't fire up the Briggs and Stratton or the Mercury, you know. I mean, they, they had to be out there with those paddles and they were rowing and they were toiling. And you would think to yourself, well, of course they are. But notice what it says In verse 48, it says, And when he saw them toiling in rowing. We see the plight of the sailors, but notice the perception of the Savior. Isn't it good to know that God knows what you're going through tonight? Isn't it good to know that every single uh, stroke with those paddles and every single inch of energy, an ounce of energy that you exert, that God, that's not lost on the Lord. He knows what you're going through. They didn't think the Lord was anywhere around. And isn't that how we all feel at times? Didn't think the Lord was anywhere. And yet there upon the shore, God saw every single movement that they made. There's times we feel as though God is just unconscious to our struggles and trials. I'm just being real tonight. I hope that's okay. There's times we feel that way. Now, be honest now. There's times we feel we feel like God doesn't have a clue what's going on in our lives. There's times we feel like, well, if he did, he'd do something about it. And that's just the way the human mind operates. But God perceived their struggles and trials. God perceived their discouragement and their disappointment. God perceived what was going on in their life. Could you imagine how they felt? I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat that had to be rowed before. It ain't easy, amen? There's a reason that one of the workout machines they'll sell you down at the Walmart is a rowing machine. It's not easy, amen? That's why that God blessed us and invented uh, boat motors for us, amen? Uh, It's difficult. You could imagine as the sweat pours off of them, as their muscles are burning and aching, them feeling as though the night is surely lost, and yet God had seen everything that they were going through. And that moment when all seemed to be lost... I want you to notice what it says here. We see not only the perception of the Savior, but notice the point of their saving. Look what it says here. It says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. 
I'm going to tell you something that you've heard a hundred times before, but it's still true and it's still good. You've heard people say before that the night's always darkest just before the dawn. Now, I'm going to confess to you that saying's just a little bit stupid, amen? You ever stopped and thought about it? That's like when people say it was in the last place I looked. Well, I should hope so. Man, you really got problems if you keep looking after you found it. But I think that most of us would agree that this fourth watch, which would be about three in the morning, three or four o'clock in the morning, is typically seems as though the darkest and coldest portion of the night. The sun is long spent. The night has settled in. That warmth that was left over in those dusk hours has dissipated. And you're left with the coldness and quietness and darkness of the deep night. Yet the Bible says it was in this moment that the Lord came to them. Let me tell you something. I don't know. I wasn't on that boat. But I would imagine if you'd been on that boat with them, you might have heard them say things like this. I don't think I can row much longer. I don't think I can fight this anymore. You might have even heard them say things like, we're going to die out here. What's the point? We've been toiling and rowing all night. And the winds just pushed us farther back. And yet it was at that moment, at the end of their ropes and the end of themselves, that God showed up. And I don't even know, I I don't know if, if this is a good sermon. I don't know if it's a bad sermon. I quit caring about that a long time ago. Listen to me right now. You may be feeling like you don't have an ounce left. That's just about the time that God's going to show up and do something real. That's just the truth of it. You see, God's trying to get you to get rid of every dependence on yourself that you have. You get rid of that. You come to the end of yourself. That's where you'll find God. It was in the darkest part of the night that the Lord showed up. I don't know what you're struggling with. I know what some folks struggle with, that they uh, something they confide in me with, but... Listen, I'm convinced of this, that most of the, that the hardest troubles and trials and the deepest pains we don't even share with each other. There's things going on in folks' lives that you'd never dream about. Things that I'd never dream about. And you may be at that moment tonight where you're saying, I don't know if I can row much longer. I don't know if I can go any further. And I would just say to you, don't give up because that's right when he's headed your way to do something. He's finally got you to where he can do something. So he's getting ready to do something. We see the point of their saving. I want you to notice this. This blessed my heart. Look what it says here. It says that about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them. Now notice this next phrase. Walking upon the sea. We see the path of the Savior. Now I'm just going to tell you some stuff. I don't even know how to say this. I'm going to give you stuff that baffles me, and I can't explain it. Amen. But it's interesting that the storms became the stepping stones for the Savior. It's interesting to me that the path that our Lord walked was within the storm and in the winds and in the waves. Let me just say this, that there's a lot of times that we're griping and complaining and begging God to make things easier when it has to be that way for God to get close to us. This storm became the channel and the path for the Lord walking to them. 
If it hadn't been for this storm, if it hadn't been for those waves that we pray for God to take away, Christ would have never had any footing to get to them. And sometimes the very things that we're begging God to take away from us are the very things that are needful for God to get a hold of us. What a mysterious God we have. Anybody that tells you they've got God figured out just ain't read the Bible enough. What a mysterious God that we have that plants His footprint in the sea and rides upon the wave. We see that this pathway that He was walking was the very storms and struggles and trials they were experiencing. And I think sometimes, don't misunderstand me, there's some folks that have a, a, a romanticism with with trials and afflictions. And then there's other folks that treat trials and afflictions as though God can never use them. And I think we have to find a biblical balance. I I understand that people in the midst of storms and trials are not very fond of storms and trials. And neither were they. And yet when they came out of this thing, they had to recognize that Christ came to them in a way in the storm that He couldn't upon the shore. And there's certain things that you're only going to learn of God when you're in the midst of those things. Notice the next thing. This is this fascinates me. You know, I told you I was going to tell you things that baffle me that I can't explain. But look at what the next phrase says. There's several times in the Gospels this phrase is used. But notice the pity of the Savior. It says, walking upon the sea. Look at the last phrase in verse 48. And would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. I can't reconcile everything about what we've just read there. Because I'm keenly aware that we have a sovereign God that doeth whatsoever he will. And I know that that sovereign God has a will. And I understand that I am to pray and to seek God's will. But I also find times in Scripture where the Bible tells me that What does it mean when it says he would have passed by? That means that that was his intention. That was the will of God was for him to pass on through. And yet he responded to their cry. I can't explain all of that except to simply say this. Prayer does things that even heaven can't explain. Prayer does things that we cannot fathom. And we find that in the midst of their trial, when the waves are, are, are high and when the wind is blowing, when everything seems to be going wrong, here comes the Savior. They don't know who it is. They don't know what it is. And, you know, I wonder sometimes if God's not trying to get our attention, but we can't even recognize Him, we're so carnal. And there's times when God comes to us and moves in our life. He's doing things. You say, preacher, what do you mean by doing things? I mean, God's allowing catastrophes and blessings. God's allowing sermons and devotionals. God's allowing friends that encourage us and enemies that buffet us. And all these things seem to be colliding in our life. And sometimes we struggle to see that that's the hand of God. They didn't know who it was. They didn't know what it was. But they did the only thing they knew to do. They cried out. I I think that's interesting where it says they cried out, because I don't think that necessarily means they cried out just, uh, you know, in, in horror or fear. I think that phrase cried out means this, that they prayed. They prayed. They cried out to the Lord. Could I say that sometimes the person that's bringing the waves is the same one that occupies the throne room? 
And sometimes if we just cry out to Him, we'd be amazed what He can do in our lives. I mean, listen, this whole thing about... And I'm not saying that every storm is chastisement, because it's not. Let me just say that storms and chastisement do have this in common all the time, that they all have a divine purpose. And the divine purpose here was to get them to cry and to call unto the Lord. That's what they did. And the Savior had pity on them. He was walking by. He was headed, we assume, for the shore. He wasn't going to stop. But when they prayed, He stopped. And He answered. I told you I can't explain it all except to say that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We see the pity of the Savior. We see the progression of the Savior. I think this is interesting. Notice there's three things that happen. They cry out. They're afraid. They're terrified. They cry out. And the first thing that the Lord does is He speaks to them. He says, Be of good cheer, as I be not afraid. Let me say that in the midst of your storm, you need to be listening for the voice of God. In every devotion time that you have, in every sermon you hear, in every song you hear, in every conversation you have, you need to be listening for the voice of God because that's the first thing He does. He speaks in the storm. He speaks. Here they are in terror and in fear. And the voice of God breaks through shining and clear and says, It's I. It's I. If we could just recognize God in the storm, we'd be amazed how it would change. Because that's where it began. I'm convinced they had a choice here. He said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. They could have said, we don't know who you are. You're no help to us. But it mattered. And why did it matter? Because it was a familiar voice. That was the same voice that had looked towards heaven and prayed and blessed the bread. That was the same voice that had spoken to them time and time again. What I'm saying is this. We get angry sometimes in the storm. We get frustrated. We get discouraged sometimes in the storm. Sometimes God tries to speak to us. And we say, I don't want to hear it, Lord. And if we could only remember that that's the voice that called us fishing nets away from a life of mediocrity. That's the voice that called us away from a devil's hell and redeemed us and saved us by His grace. It's that voice that's speaking to us. So it behooves us to listen. It's a voice of love. It's not a voice of damnation. It's a voice of love. And it would do us well to listen. Even when we're angry at God, we ought to listen to Him. Oh, you don't get angry at God? Sure you do. I do too at times. Oh, we may, we may not get bitter and throw in the towel, and I hope we don't, but we all have times when we say, Lord, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. You say, well, no, preacher, I'm more spiritual than that. Then you're more spiritual than John the Baptist. Because there in the midst of a prison cell, he sent word. He said, go and ask Jesus if he's the one that should come or should we look for another. And Christ sent back word and said, you tell John that I do miracles, I heal, I preach, I'm everything God said I would be. And he said this, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know what that means, to be offended in him? Old Vance Havner, you say it like this. That was, that was the beatitude of blessed is he whosoever does not get offended at the way I run my business. That's what Vance Havner, you say about that. And that's the truth. John was angry. John didn't understand. John's in the midst of his own personal storm, looking at an execution block. 
says, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But then he hears that voice come ringing clear and true. And John had enough sense to listen when it was the voice of God. We see the pity of the Savior, but we see this progression. What's the second thing that happened? Because they listened to his voice, what happened? He entered into the ship. It doesn't go the other way. He don't enter into the ship and then speak. He speaks and then enters into the ship. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? That was the presence of God that walked into their situation. Imagine. The presence of God. That's what most of us want. Most of us, we want two things to happen when we're in the midst of a storm. One, we want comfort through the presence of God. And two, we want calm through His divine intervention. We see that both of those things happen. But before either of them happen... First, the voice spake. And sometimes we don't want to listen to the voice of God. We just want Him to come in and and force fix everything. We don't want to listen to what God has to say about it. We just want God to come in and make it all better. But that's not the way it works. Because the whole thing He's trying to get you to is listening to His voice. But if you'll listen to His voice first, second, He entered into the ship. He gave them that presence. You can imagine, this this is the same Lord. They hadn't been through. They had been through this once before. You remember, this wasn't their first storm. You know why they were afraid this time? Because they didn't have the presence of God with them. Isn't that isn't that true? They had they had been through this once before. You understand. And before, the Lord was asleep down in the bottom of the ship, and they cried and they say, "Master, carest thou not that we perish?" And he rose up and he said, "Oh, ye of little faith." And he raised his hand and he calmed the storm. And they thought, just as long as he'd be there through every storm, they'd be okay. But let me tell you something. You say, preacher, what does that mean to me today? It means this. There's going to be times you're going to be in the storm and you're going to feel his presence in a powerful way. And then there's going to be times you're going to be in the storm and you ain't going to feel nothing. You ain't going to feel nothing except fear and doubt, just as they did. Just as they did. Now they were having to go without his presence. But once they listened to his voice, he entered into the ship. And then a third thing happened. This is interesting. The wind ceased. Oh, that's what they wanted, wasn't it? And what some of us are missing is we're praying and we're asking God to calm this thing. But we don't want to listen to his voice. And then we don't want to welcome his presence. We want God to fix our circumstances, but not our spirituality. And it don't work that way. We don't, listen, we don't live by faith till we're living in faith. It don't work that way. We don't get to say, oh God, just come fix everything and it'll be all right. And the Lord's saying, I need to be fixing you before I'm fixing your circumstances. Had to fix everything about that situation. It began with listening to the voice and then the presence and then finally the calming of the sea. Then I want you to notice this final thing. We notice the purpose of the storm. This is really the key, I think. Because the Bible says that they were afraid. It says that they remembered not. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hard. Now, isn't that interesting? Why is that interesting? It's interesting because in the midst of their trial, they served a God that was able to feed 5,000. And they were worried about a little old storm. Can I tell you something tonight? If God can forgive you and redeem you of your sins, 
He can handle whatever you're going through. I mean, that's just truth. If God can save you and change your life, He can handle what you're going through. Boy, I don't know why we think God's so small sometimes, but we do. There's times we think God is small, but He's not small. God can handle that, that trial you're going through. God can handle that relationship you're struggling with. God can handle that bill that you can't make due on. God can handle those things. If we'd only listen to His voice, if we'd only allow His presence in and allow Him to move and allow Him to work, the purpose was this. God had done something big in their life, and they didn't get a hold of it. You know, it's great when God can get our attention through breaking of bread, but there's sometimes that He has to get our attention through the breaking of our will. And that's what happened in this story. God had taught them something through the breaking of bread, but they didn't listen. So he could only do it through the breaking of their will.